in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from Ecclesiastes chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So our show today will just be a little bit different. I have the pleasure of speaking with a gentleman not too shy of 100 years here on this planet. So I would love for us to be able to hear from him and learn from him and basically just enjoy his life story. My guest today is Bob Kinsley, and I'm so thrilled he's here. So your son-in-law, Roger, who happens to be the engineer here at KKPZ, suggested I open with Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the reason why is because, of course, in everything there is a season. And today's show is all about the seasons of Bob. What do you think about that? That sounds good to me. All right. So, Bob, tell us basically who you are. Who are we listening to here today? Okay. My name is Bob Kinsley. It's uh, a, a Swiss, Swiss name. I was born in October 1926. That makes me about 93 years old. I was uh, born across the creek area. It's called Shelton Ditch, across from the hospital here in Salem. At that time, it was called a Deaconess Hospital, and uh, it, was run, it was a religious hospital at that time. Uh, I lived across the... Uh, the creek from the hospital, and uh, while there we had a barn with uh, two horses there, work horses, for fun, us kids, uh, never boys used to sneak over there to the hospital, and on the uh, second floor was a kind of a slide, like a playground slide, just slid down to the ground, and then in case of fire, why they would put the patients in the mattress there and throw the mattress and them right down the chute for their escape. But us kids had a different meaning for that. We would sneak over there and slide down and have a great time, except they would come out and chase us off. Huh. Well, every year there, though, we seemed to have a flood, and it would come up to our porch, front porch, and it would be about... Uh, three and a half to four feet from the ground, so that's a lot of depth of water. We used to have fun there as kids. The neighbor lady right across the street there on the cottage street had a wooden sidewalk made up of two before us, about 10 feet long. And when the water would come up, why, that sidewalk would float away. 
So Mrs. Leonard, that was her name, would let us take the sidewalk as a raft, and we'd go all around <laughs> wherever we could, you know, without running into anything, and then we'd to make sure we had to take it back before the water went down so she had a sidewalk. Did you always bring it back? Oh, you better yeah, yeah. <laughs> The wood spoon, yeah. You might get the wood spoon paddling, so you've got to bring back her, her wood walkway. <laughs> oh, we had fun. The hospital used great big long uh, kind of log-like things for their furnace, and they would all get up and float down their stream there to the bridge and get locked up there. But we had a good time down there then. As we go on a little bit longer in our story here, why there was down on Front Street was a lumber company called Spalding Lumber Company, and uh, they used to, the uh, horses would bring in the big logs, they would haul them in, and there was a couple old trucks there too, old Mack trucks, and they would dump them and they would go down the slide, a log slide, to the Willamette River. And down there, the lumbermen would gather the logs together on the Willamette River and uh, nail them together with the cable and stuff to make a big, huge raft, maybe three three blocks long or something. Then a tugboat would come down and take those logs up north, and I believe probably they dropped them off there at Oregon City, right about where the falls were there, because there was a a paper mill there, but right next to, now I'm describing the city, right next to this logging company, which right now would be on Front Street with a big hotel there, there was a paper company there called Oregon Pulp and Paper, and that was quite an unusual thing. Uh, the workmen would be notified five minutes before quitting time by a big loud whistle you could hear it all over Salem. And then they had five minutes to pick up their tools and get ready for to quit their their job. But uh, there used to be they would use sulfur, a chemical called sulfur, yellow sulfur, and uh, they would use it in the paper process at Oregon Pulp and Paper. But oh, every once in a while, when they were processing that, it would just choke the whole area around. You couldn't breathe good. And they had to cough and everything, and it only lasted so long each day or whenever they were processing the paper. Did you have a nickname growing up? Yes. My <laughs> sister couldn't say Robert or Bobby, so I was named Babu, B-A-B-B-O-O, <laughs> Babu. And my last name was Kinsley. I couldn't say that, so I could say Tinsley, like a T with a Tinsley, so that's what I'm known as, Babu Tinsu. Cute. Uh, during a summertime, or right after winter, where the rocks in the Willamette River come down and kind of fill up a big kind of a ditch that Salem used as a water reservoir. And you uh, get kind of shallow there. So my father was one of the teamsters there that had what they call a Fresno. Now, spelling I can't say, but to describe it, it looks like a huge sugar scoop with a handle. And the two horses would be on the front, and they would go and scoop up the big, large rocks and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you can edit this. The horses, though, of course, nature called, and uh, they would uh, do their job there. And, of course, the EPA wasn't born yet, or the, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to do that. 
That's a great part of the story. We're not editing that out at all. Oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was quite something. They would go over there on a raft, a big raft. The horses would get on there, two horses, and then this uh, Fresno, which had a cable hookup on the front end that did the scoop. And then in the back of it would be uh, my father or who, some of the other horses there would, uh, as they scooped, they could tilt it, and then it would dump all the rocks in a different place. So that was what they used as a, for our reservoir, I guess. It didn't kill us, though. That was another thing about medical problems and stuff. I remember when I was a little kid, probably six or seven on up, we'd go down to this Shelton Dish, which was right by the hospital, and go swimming and waiting in the water when it was that green frog spittle. Mm. Of course, we inhaled some of it, but we never died. And I'd, we'd cut our feet on the old Tim Rusty cans, and the creek never got locked or any of that stuff. I don't know why, but now uh, they say it's pretty dangerous doing that. You probably ate a lot of dirt, and so your, your immune system probably was really high. <laughs> I guess so. And, and what we ate, it wasn't all this junk. We had good food. Then one of the exciting things, I was about, uh, let's see, nine years old, and my sister Ruby, which was the next one in the line, well, let, let me start out. My oldest sister was Laura. Had she lived two more months, would have been 98. My brother Bud had a machine shop. He was the next in line, but he died younger because of lung disease with smoke from his welding shop. But then uh, I have a brother who was uh, about 93 when he passed on. This has been some years back. Then I still have a sister alive in Vancouver, Washington, and she's 96. And here I'm the baby of the family at 93. What do you think you can attribute that to, all that long life in your family? Oh, I don't know. Did you have fresh vegetables growing in the backyard? Yes, tomatoes and peas and you name it, all squash and yeah, it was all all in the backyard and stuff. My mom was is quite quite talented. Of course, she didn't work. She was a home mother and a wonderful lens at that. But she would make all this stuff and there was all this stuff there. But let's see here, Elizabeth. I have a listers because at my age I'm subject to forgetting. But anyway, when I was nine and my sister was uh, three years older, so she would be 12, why, we heard a bunch of sirens going. And we lived about uh, five blocks south of State Street off Bellevue, which is now called Parkway Drive. And so we, we heard it, and so we ran towards it, and it was on State and Winter Street. And our Capitol building, Oregon's Capitol building, was burning and we watched it burn, and the whole dome, kind of like Washington, D.C.'s dome, was, was made out of, of copper, and it got cherry red. It was, the mm. fire was so hot. We sat there and watched it burn and cried our, our heart out because we used to go in there inside the, the Capitol, and it was like a museum. There's all kinds of animals and guns and all that stuff, but it all burned up. Some of it, I think, got saved, but anyway... At the park, there were a great thing we had for us kids and, and parents was band concerts. And uh, there was a kind of a podium there out in the park, which is called Wilson Park at that time. Band would play all kinds of 
military stuff and Americans and stuff. They were all dressed up. They, they looked uniform. They looked nice back there. And then there was a fountain probably 25 feet in diameter called the Wait Fountain, W-A-I-T-E. And it's where the water and would do all kinds of things, all various designs and stuff. And it was something, and the kids had blankets up there and had popcorn and apples and stuff and run around, have a good time. Didn't have to worry about, at least apparently, these hoodlums and stuff like that. Everybody seemed to be well controlled. That's nice. I did forget one thing about Salem Town there. Right across the street and down from the Oregon Pulp and Paper was a terminal ice and cold storage building. Railroad cars would come up there and park, and a, a door would open on the end, and these workers would slide on a ramp that's kind of built right up to the same height as the train, and they'd chip great big blocks of ice in there. And that was a refrigerator car at that time to keep stuff cold on transit. Now, did you and your friends ever steal one of those big blocks of ice and just go sledding down the street? My gosh, we with those things about three feet high, <laughs> uh, 16 inches wide, and about uh, four feet long. They just kind of run them on rollers out there, and then they have these ice picks, and they just chip those ice and big chunks and make them go down into that car for keeping the cars cool inside. Hmm. Yeah, that's in the old days when they had uh, steam engines there. as a common thing. You didn't have these big diesels. This is such an education for me and probably for the listeners as well. And it's so fun to hear the the history of Salem, too. Yeah. uh, Okay, now the uh, bridge over the Willamette River there Center Street came up over the bridge, and there's kind of a, a steel tower there, kind of suspended up the bridge, the center part of the bridge. And then the other side came down, and it, it had a wooden ramp there. And right down at the bottom of the bridge on the west side was a big building called the Mellow Moon Skating Rink. And it used to be skating, and then it turned into dancing well. When the thing flooded the last time, was quite deep there and quite swift, and took that whole building, which was a huge thing. It's all wood, of course. Floated right down to hit the ramp and broke to pieces, and uh, people were scared we were going to lose the bridge there to get on it. But uh, that's about the thrill of it. We uh, always kids. Why we made what we call box scooters. We took a before about three feet long, took a roller skate and broke it in two and put one joint in the front of the two before we went to the back and then an old orange crate we nailed it so it come up and two handles on that was a box scooter and we could just go everywhere. Right now they'd be probably com- compared to one of these skateboards that these guys have, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but that that's kind of the stuff we did. I I built a all box scooter for that race that was over at Bush's Park, which was a great big park there. It was a concrete ramp, and they, they have a contest there. Uh, now, that was later on in life. But that was a great big pasture there, just on the, it'd be on the south side of the hospital, was called Bush's Park. 
and uh, there was cattle in there, and that's because they used to have to cross that to go to Leslie High School. And uh, we was always scared that some of those cows and bulls would get us. But uh, we had a, a second way of going on. There's probably, oh, from our house to, the, to Leslie School, about a mile, and we had to go about a half a mile through the park. So we, we all thought that was kind of dangerous. And, you know, there's so many things to live with. But I look back to what we used to do. It was so much fun. I wish that the kids nowadays could enjoy that without all these electronic devices you can play games and stuff with. And, you know, that kind of, these, these new electronic stuff has kind of ruined socialization. You know, they're too interested to go visit Grandpa, Grandma. And the first thing they do is pull their iPhone on and start working puzzles with no visiting. That's life. That's no good anymore. But, yeah. Yes, I would like to go back. I'd like to live my life again. Uh, I think I had a full life, enjoyed myself, and got married to a girl I had eyes for in Salem High. And that's when we had just one high school. It was called Salem High, and it was built right on the whole block where Myron Franks used to be here in Salem. I went into the Navy and uh, corresponded with uh, Norma Jean Nugent, that was my sweetheart's name, and she wrote back, and so we back and forth, back and forth. And the third day we went and got engaged when I got out of the service while we dated a little bit. Uh, then we got married, and I lost my wife just, it will be almost two years ago. Married 70 years. In two months we would have been married 71. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Yeah, so we had a good, good life. Had two nice daughters. Nice grandkids, and real nice, about seven, I think, seven great-grandkids. So that's, that's about my life, sir. I, I feel pretty good. I got a check out from the hospital, and it said, uh, thumbs up. I was good for some more time. Mm-hmm. So, well, you've got some more time here. It looks like you've built boxcars and done lots of crazy oh. fun things. You've got more time. What do you think there is that you want to still do? Do you want to build anything? Do you want to go anywhere? Is there some food you've never eaten? Uh, some things I've learned is right now being single is how to operate a, a microwave stove. <laughs> <laughs> and and frozen frozen foods from Costco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I have visits from my, my uh, grandsons. I have a wonderful grandson there, and Roger, Roger Smith. I met his uh, father. He's just a couple years younger. He's a kid. Uh, my daughter married into a wonderful family, a wonderful Christian family. We thank God for that. Mm-hmm. But I have good family there, and uh, an older older daughter than Susan in uh, Dallas with her husband, uh, Jerry Dillard. And then I got a Susie Smith, and I got a Roger Smith. <laughs> 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 uh, we like that guy. We'll keep him around for a while. What do you think about that? Yes, you better, because he's nice. Yes. I, I don't uh, attend the, uh, church much anymore. It starts too early. I'm retired, you know. <laughs> but uh, the Lord's been good to, good to us, and good to me especially. I, I just can't complain, and I do believe in the Lord God, and uh, I think that's what helps me. Uh, they get along, and then, of course, my kids are Roger, and they come over and visit. And some of them, uh, 
about every weekend, uh, every Saturday, Susie comes over, and Chris is is only in Dallas. And uh, if Roger's listening, is there anything I forgot, Roger? Well, something that he had mentioned to me a while back I'd love to ask you. You have a story about where you literally fell for your wife in school. <laughs> well, you know, she was kind of a song queen there at this called Salem High, and it's not North Salem High or South. It was just plain Salem High. Graduated in 1944. Okay. I used to work at Fred Myers uh, after hours, and uh, <clears throat> so I would get up late sometimes, and I'd have to ride my bicycle like crazy to high school to get there before the last bell would ring, the late bell. And it was a home room where you congratulated uh, before you went to your regular classes. Congregated, I mean. Yeah. So anyway, Mrs. Mabel Robinson was a homeroom teacher, and the desks there that you sat in were in a kind of a row down, about four rows down, and you sat in the seat there with a desktop right in front of you there. And so I thought I'd come in late, and boy, I'd get there just as the last bell would ring, and I would tear down the aisleway there to get to my seat in the back of the schoolroom, and all of a sudden I went flying in the air. I couldn't figure out, and I skidded to the end of the room there, and the teacher says, Bob Kinsley, you get up and quit acting smart. Well, what I found out later, that little gal that I married, she tripped me. She was just waiting for that, evidently. So that's how it all started there when I was in the Navy down in San Diego. I'd give her a chance to see if she'd answer a letter. And by golly, she did, and we started writing back and forth and back and forth. And like I said, the third day we met when I had to leave, we got engaged. And after I got out of the service, we dated for a while, and then we got married. And uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful marriage, a wonderful Christian wife. I sure do miss her. I'm yep. sure. But she's in a good place. I have no doubt that she's with the Lord now. I hope to be there. I'm not pushing it, but I hope we're <laughs> You hope there's a place there for you at the table, huh? Ah, you bet. <laughs> you bet. Tell me about what you did for work. Okay. Well, I started out with a telephone company in 1947, after I got out of the service, and I worked for Western Electric. Now, that's a company that installed all the telephone equipment, Okay. Then I wanted to work for uh, Pacific Northwest Bell, but you had to wait six months in between, so it wouldn't be like they were proscillating us, PNB, Pacific Northwest Bell. I worked as an installer there, and uh, I was uh, working on lines and stringing cable and so forth, and installing telephones. About 1950, Big High Boss says, we want you inside because we like the way you print. <laughs> so I got in what they call the assignment department where we assigned all cable pairs, telephone numbers, and so forth like that. And they said, it's just a loan for a few months. Well, it was about a year and a half to two years before I could get out of there. The only way I got out is that there was a test out for uh, re 
radio there, and, and that was what I was in the neighborhood. I was a third-class radio man, and uh, installation of high-powered short station equipment, maintenance, of various bases around getting educated in the United States, Chicago, Great Lakes, Washington, D.C., and all the places, and then went up to a naval operating base, up at a weather station up in uh, Argentia, Newfoundland. So I was there, and then and come back. I see. What else was I going to tell you? <laughs> if I get to rattling on, and oh, occupation, sure. And then uh, working for the same up two and a half years, I passed the radio test. Got my. I have a commercial license. Uh, I can work on commercial equipment now, but I'm too old for doing that. That's too modern. But anyway, I worked on uh, teletypes. Insulation and maintenance, mobile radios. We had a mobile shop. I installed radios in uh, cars and trucks, logging trucks and so forth and so on. And then, uh, let's see, in 1980, 86 is when I retired. I got, you know, the old golden watch thing, you know. (laughs) And uh, it said goodbye. I couldn't do my job now it's just gone too modern. But I used to go up to these mountaintops, up to almost Mount Hood. We had a radio site. Silverton Hills, Eugene, over the coast, Mary's Peak, if any of these mean it to anybody. And uh, we had to go up with snowcats. Uh, I mean, the big snowcats where you haul six people up there. Sometimes the snow was 20 feet deep just going up the mountain there and we were going up in the area. Tucker, it's called a Tucker Snowcat. So that's what I did until they said, would you want to retire? And I said, yep. <laughs> but it made it attractive for me, so I quit there, Elizabeth, and that's about it, my telephone experience. And for hobbies and stuff, why I got my hammer heel license also. I was W7QFJ. Then, like I say, I have a commercial license. So I went into photography, great guns, and then I, my grandson, Ben, he took over a lot of my camera stuff, so I don't have nothing. All I'm doing is fixing things around there that seems to break down all the time. And learning how to use the microwave. And that's right, and how to, you set the thing for four and a half minutes to put a frozen food in it. <laughs> that's it. We have about one minute left. What I would love to know is what life advice would you pass along to the younger generation? Okay, here's what I'm I'm serious about this now. I think that the young men, when they graduate from high school, should go into the service of some sort for at least a year to two years, and that teaches you respect and and how to take orders. So I would advise the young guys to do that instead of all this drugs and opiates and all that kind of stuff. Get in there and get some, and learn how to take orders. That's one of the main things. You have to listen and take orders. You might not like it, but that's the way it is. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you so very much to my 93-year-old guest, Bob Kinsley. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>